Imagine you're standing at the kitchen sink, washing dishes with a warm, soapy sponge, when there's a knock at the door. You visit for 10 minutes with a neighbor or a Mormon missionary, and then you return to the sink and pick up the sponge. Is it still warm? Good, because mine isn't either, because I wondered what your trick is. What do you do to get it warm again? Heat the water up? Okay, then what? Run it out, just run it over the sponge? Does that work? Don't you have to squeeze that cold water out of the sponge to let the hot water soak all the way back in? Our scripture passage from Ephesians recognizes that we have choices about what to do with our resources and our energy, with our words and our actions. And I think that the image that comes to my mind is we have to squeeze out certain things. Bitterness, wrath, brawling, so that we can open that sponge back up ourselves, our hearts, and refill it with the positive things. So let that image sort of guide us as we think through some of the things that the writer of this letter offers to us. It may be Paul, it may be someone writing in Paul's name, but whoever it is 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 aware that the people in Ephesus are fairly new Christians. This person is writing just a few decades after Jesus has died. And so these are not families who have gone to church for years. These are people who are just learning about Christianity and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so sometimes, you think about some of the people that, with whom you, that you have learned about as you're an adult, some people spend their time in their families yelling. Everybody yells. And it's just denigrating to the people within the family. They don't know what it's like to be in a peaceful household where people use words to build them up instead of put them down. So think about that too. These are these people are just learning. They're kind of going to school for the first time. School starts today, not tomorrow or Tuesday. They lived in a society where people worshipped multiple gods. Sexual immorality was rampant. Greed colored business transactions. Evil was everywhere. Does this sound familiar? And so the passage is made up of these basic admonitions. This is what a follower of Jesus looks like. This is how we act. And we come to it again at the end of the passage in 5.2. Jesus has sacrificed his life to show us a way to live that pleases the God who created us. Jesus has connected us to himself, to God, to each other. And so how then do we live with that, with gratitude? What coldness do we need to squeeze out, and with what shall we replace it? If, as Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living, this text gives us a chance to examine our lives 
and to make them worth living. So we'll go through them little by little, one by one, briefly. The first one is, because we are members of one another, because we are all a part of the human race, and the choices that we make can affect thousands, if not millions of people, we must be truthful. The Wall Street Journal's website tells about Chanad Segedi, I'm guessing, of Hungary. Segedi rose through the ranks and became a leader in Jobbik, a far-right party that has maybe 12 or 13 percent of the seats in the Hungarian parliament. Some of Jobbik's party's messages have been considered anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, as have some of the statements by this person, Segedi. So imagine what happens when someone who has become known as disparaging the Jewish people finds out that he's Jewish. Last December, Segedi learned that his maternal grandmother and the Jewish, whether you're Jewish, passes down through the mother, His maternal grandmother was the only member of an extended family to survive Dachau and Auschwitz. And her husband, his grandfather, survived a labor camp, and they had kept their heritage private until recently. Some allege that Segedi tried to bribe someone to keep that information private, but eventually he had to own up to the truth, leading some to call for his resignation from the political party. Usually the truth surfaces. And even if it doesn't, the lies, the untruths, fester within us, and they affect us and our relationships with other people. So in the long run, it's easier if we exchange falsehood for truth. We are members of one another, Ephesians tells us. We are all connected, so squeeze out lying and exchange it for the truth. What about our anger? Anger is inevitable. Be angry, but do not sin. That's not a command, literally, go be angry, but but a recognition that, yes, we get angry. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. One older man said that he'd been married for years and years, and he was talking to a younger man about his marriage, and he said, yes, sure, we fought, but we never went to bed angry. Of course, one time we were up for three months. (laughs) Anger is normal. We want to be aware of the, of the actions that our anger can engender. It's said that Alexander the Great conquered the known world, but he couldn't conquer his own temper. And when Cletus, a childhood friend and a general in his army, became drunk and insulted Alexander in front of his men, Alexander became angry enough and hurled a spear at Cletus, intending just to surprise him, but... Apparently, he had bad aim, and he hit him instead. He killed him. Be angry, but do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Or in the NIV translation, do not give the devil a foothold. Now, there's another good image. If you think about a rock climbing wall or, or climbing a cliff, and you, you need to have a foothold to get higher. And if we make things smooth enough, then the devil doesn't have a foothold. That sense of evil doesn't have a foothold to get into us and cool down our sponge. Revenge rarely helps a situation. It usually makes matters worse. Patience and thoughtfulness are better ways to deal with anger. Baseball umpire Bill Guthrie was working behind a plate one afternoon when the catcher for the visiting team was repeatedly protesting his calls. And Guthrie endured this for a number of innings, and then he called a halt to the game, and he said, Son, you've been a big help to me in calling balls and strikes today, and I appreciate it. But I think I've got the hang of it now, so I'm going to ask you to go to the clubhouse, show whoever's there how to take a shower. Calmly, playfully, but forcefully. Anger needs an outlet. It needs one. It needs to be addressed sooner rather than later. And so when we sense anger welling up inside of us, we have new options. We can't go down the same path that we have been going where everything was good. We've all of a sudden got to make new decisions. And the Mental Health Association suggests suggests working off our anger to do something constructive with that pent-up energy that it inevitably creates, to pitch into some physical activity or work it out in tennis or a long walk. Squeeze out anger and exchange it for forgiveness. Verse 28, thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Don't steal from anyone. Don't sit around idle waiting for people to give you what you want. A news clipping appeared that when there was a power outage, people were stuck for hours on the escalator. Don't be idle. And remember that this is a letter to a community, and all actions should work towards strengthening the community. And it's true for us, too, where the community is our family, our neighborhood, our church, our geographical area. Do honest work so that we'll have something to share with people who have little to nothing. And this is countercultural. That's why we, we still need this letter to the Ephesians. In the U.S., we work so we'll have money to have a nicer house and more clothes or to go to restaurants or to go on trips. But that's not what this letter is saying. It's work hard so that you'll have plenty of income so that you can share it with people who need, who are in need. Dave Ramsey agrees. He says with his plan, he wants you to get financially stable but not just so you can be financially stable, but so that you can have money to share with other people. 
squeeze out selfishness, and fill that sponge with generosity. Verse 29, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. We wish bullies would follow this advice. We wish parents would follow this advice. We wish siblings, partners, bosses, and doctors would follow this advice. But only when we open ourselves to this advice will it have meaning. Words of grace and encouragement build up a community. Words that disrespect and injure others chisel away at its foundation. As we strive toward unity, toward being members of one another, let no evil talk come out of our mouths, but only what is useful for building up, so that our words may give grace to those who hear. Now let this illustration tie things together. In the movie Karate Kid, Daniel is a who is moved to a place for a town for the first time, and he's having a difficult time settling in with people, with kids his own age, and he makes a connection with Mr. Miyagi and learns that he is interested in karate, and so asks Mr. Miyagi to help him to help learn karate. And Miyagi agrees under one condition that Daniel must submit totally to his instruction and never question methods. So Daniel shows up the next day eager to learn, and Mr. Miyagi has him paint a fence with very specific motions, up, down, up, and down. And in another area, side to side, side to side. And he does the same thing using a phrase, sand the floor, and again, to wash and wax three weather-beaten cars. He prescribes a specific motion. Wax on, wax off. And finally, Daniel reaches his limit. He says, I thought you were going to teach me karate, but all you do is have me do your unwanted chores. And Mr. Miyagi doesn't respond right away. He just goes through each movement with him once again, makes them very precise. And then he thrusts his arm at Daniel, who instinctively defends himself with an arm motion exactly like one of those used in his chores. And then another thrust, and he defends himself again with another move from another chore. And then Miyagi unleashes a vicious kick, and again Daniel averts the blow with a motion used in one of his chores. And so they bow appropriately. And after that, Miyagi simply walks away, leaving Daniel to discover, that, to discover what Miyagi has known all along, that skill comes from repeating the correct but seemingly mundane actions. Now think about how this applies. Some of these things in Ephesians are seemingly mundane. Being kind, being tender-hearted, being compassionate, sacrificing. Live in love. 
our last verse says today, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Every act of kindness and tenderheartedness and generosity and honesty and verbal care not only increases our skill at being imitators of God, but it reduces the amount of time we have for bitterness, for anger, for malice. We have a chance to squeeze those things out and let the others move in. That's not a bad exchange rate. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we can only do what you call us to do with your help. And so teach us and lead us in every action that we take, that it may be like Jesus. Amen.